Welcome, my name is Mason and this is Mace on Movies, episode 9 of my journey through Ghibli. And that brings us to the movie Whisper of the Heart, uh, or in Japanese, Mimi o Sumaseba, uh, which is uh, literally translated means if you listen closely. Uh, and this was released back in 1995, uh, and it was directed by Yoshifumi Kondo, uh, who unfortunately... Uh, this is the only film that he was able to direct for Studio Ghibli uh, before passing away in 1998. Uh, and it is uh, definitely a sad to hear of that because uh, not only is this an excellent film and just shows how much potential he had as a filmmaker, you know, uh, Miyazaki Hayao was also looking to kind of pass things on to him in the future. Um, with Studio Ghibli having him being one of the main creative voices going forward uh, rather than just being uh, Miyazaki or Takahata uh, doing the movies. So they're really looking to kind of pass the baton. Uh, but unfortunately, he did pass away in 1998, and this is the only film that he was able to uh, direct for Studio Ghibli. Uh, so very sad to hear about that. Uh, but, you know, for the one film that he created for Studio Ghibli, he, he truly created uh, an exceptional film. Um, this is, you know, I've had kind of an issue maybe with some of the kind of coming-of-age stories outside of the more fantastical ones uh, that Studio Ghibli have released. You know, the more like real-life stories like Ocean Waves uh, or Only Yesterday, those two movies kind of landed near the bottom of my list so far because I, I, I haven't really been able to connect to them so well. There's also, I had issues with some of the pacing uh, and some of the character choices overall. Uh, but with this film, I think that this is not only the best of the kind of coming of age stories, but I think one of the best Studio Ghibli films uh, I've seen so far. Uh, I think that, you know, this is one that I haven't really heard a lot about, and so I feel like in some ways it's underrated when you when you think of Ghibli because you usually think of films like My Neighbor Totoro uh, or Spirited Away um, or, you know, Princess Mononoke, um, Howl's Moving Castle. You know, we, we think of those first, Kiki's Delivery Service as well, Naushika of the Valley of the Wind, Castle in the Sky, like all of those films, some of which I've already watched are kind of the ones that come to mind when you think of Studio Ghibli. You don't immediately jump to, oh yeah, Studio Ghibli, Whisper of the Heart. Um, but I really feel like this film should be in consideration kind of at the top of the Studio Ghibli list um, because it does, it tells the story so well. And, you know, at its heart, this is a story, it is a coming of age story, it's a romantic story, but it's really a story about kind of finding, finding the place that you belong um, and really pursuing your dreams and, you know, finding that special person that you belong with. Uh, and, you know, a big song throughout this film is actually uh, Country Roads uh, by John Denver, which I think is, um, you know, I always wondered why this song was so popular in Japan. Uh, because, you know, I've mentioned it before, but I teach English in Japan. And it's actually in, like, in the back of our English textbooks, we do have... Uh, we have that song. We have the lyrics to that song in the back of a lot of our English textbooks. And, you know, at the beginning of a lot of English classes, we'll do like an English song time. And every year, at least one teacher will choose, uh, you know, Take Me Home Country Roads uh, as the so as the song uh, to sing for a whole month. So uh, we haven't done it. Uh, we haven't done it 
this school year so far, um, but I know that for sure, maybe towards the end of the year, uh, we'll definitely be uh, visiting it. And, you know, it's really like the kids, even if they haven't heard, heard it before, I think once the kids listen to it uh, and once they think about maybe the meaning of the song about coming back to the place where you belong, um, I think that it really resonates with, it's really a, it's not just an American song, it really resonates you know, worldwide as people think about where they belong, where they fit in, the people they belong with, and just kind of that nostalgic feeling of home. Um, and so I, I really like, I love that as this movie opens, we get that song. I think the opening uh, is actually a version by Olivia Newton-John uh, doing that opening, uh, opening song. And um, yeah, but we, we hear it a few times throughout the film. And, and, and as soon as the, the movie opened and I heard that song, I immediately had a smile on my face because I've heard it so much uh, in my life in Japan. And it really like, it immediately went straight to my heart. And so I think maybe, maybe for me, this film jumps higher because of certain attachments I have to it. Uh, you know, it is a junior high school story. I teach junior high school students. Uh, this song is always popping up in our class. And so I, I just felt like, if you want to call it an emotional connection or even like a heart connection uh, to this film, it was definitely there for me. Um, but, you know, to give a summary of the story without giving any, any specific things away, um, I, you know, it's about a girl uh, named Shizuku. And um, she is an, a third year junior high school student. Uh, she's preparing to enter high school, and she is also, her father's a librarian, so she's very interested in books and interested in stories, um, and kind of throughout this movie uh, finds herself pursuing that passion of creative writing. Uh, she also comes across the path of a boy named Seiji, uh, who is passionate about uh, becoming a violin maker, uh, and he goes to the same school as her, uh, and it's about her kind of meeting him uh, and getting to know, um, you know, getting to know uh, his family, uh, his grandfather, um, and their world, uh, and how crossing paths with them kind of sparks her creative journey, uh, as well as a romantic journey. So that's kind of the overall story of the film, is this girl named Shizuku and her journey creatively and romantically, um, and deciding what she wants to do with her life. Um, and so I think, you know, this is Again, it is a universal story. It is a story like we all we've we've all experienced that, you know, that feeling of like as we get older and as we're deciding what we want to do with our lives, there's this feeling of like maybe I have a passion, but do I have what it takes to pursue that passion? Is there is there something inside of me that's worth digging into and discovering and bringing out and sharing with the world? Uh, I think we we know that journey. I you know when I was in junior high school and high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I had some passions and some interests, but I never felt like I had enough inside me to bring out and make it like a worthy endeavor. For example, when I was in junior high school, uh, I was a drama club student. And so I was very interested in theater, musical theater. I was interested in acting, uh, was interested in like stunt work, was really kind of fascinated with all of that and thought, you know, one day maybe, I don't know if I could be an actor uh, because I'm very shy. Like me being on stage was extremely nerve wracking. I never really, 
I never really landed in big parts because I just never felt comfortable, uh, you know, performing. Uh, but I thought maybe I could be someone like behind the scenes, you know, and so I definitely had an interest in film and theater uh, and wanted to pursue that. But, you know, over time, never really had the courage within myself to try and make something of that dream until years later when I would start a podcast. Um, so now I'm kind of pursuing some sort of film related dream. Um, but, you know, I still have that struggle inside of like, do I have something worth saying? Do I have something worth sharing that matters, that will resonate with people, uh, that people will care about listening to? Um, so, you know, the journey that, that Shizuku goes on, like I said, in this movie is super relatable, not just for me, but I think for people around the world. Um, and the reason that this song, Take Me Home Country Roads, is, is in the movie is that her class is trying to translate the English song uh, for kind of a final performance at the end of the year. And so they ask her, because they know she's kind of a creative writer, she has a talent for writing, they ask her to try and translate uh, this song from English to Japanese. But, you know, it's not a directly translatable song. It's not like it's, you know, the, the literal translation of the song would be a song about West Virginia, which, you know, doesn't really mean anything to people living in Tokyo, right? And so she's trying to capture the essence of the song, the heart of the song, and translate it that way. And she does kind of a parody version where she's singing about concrete roads. Um, but anyway, her kind of writing the story is basically like her or her translating the song kind of kicks off her journey in the way that she meets Seiji and the way that she get becomes a writer and things like that. So, um, yeah, the song is, is very important, uh, within this movie. Uh, and I think definitely led to, uh, a lot of people around Japan loving the song as well. I don't know why this song was chosen. I couldn't find why this specific song was chosen. Maybe it was just a favorite, um, of the director or a favorite of, you know, maybe this was based on like a manga. So maybe, uh, it was in that original story. Whoever wrote it had a passion or, or a deep connection to that song. Uh, I'm not really sure. But I definitely enjoyed the way that it was used throughout this film. And I enjoyed the story overall. And I thought that all of the characters within this film are, you know, from Shizuku to Seiji uh, and Seiji's grandfather. I thought that they were all really likable. I thought that the pacing of the story was the best, one of the best of the Ghibli films so far. I never felt like, I never felt like, that feeling of like, okay, can we, can we move on? Can we, can, we, can we get somewhere? Where are we going with this? I always felt like I was just enjoying the ride. And I think that had to do not just with the writing uh, and the story itself, but also with the pacing of the story. So uh, yeah, I have a lot that I love about this film. Um, and you know, I'm going to talk about the story, some specific moments from the story. Uh, uh, so if you haven't seen it yet, please make sure that you check it out. Definitely encourage you to check this one out. Uh, I really liked it and I would love to hear your thoughts about it. So uh, yeah, I'm going to get into some spoilers now. So uh, getting into the story, um, you know, I guess some things that are kind of relevant to the story are would be an explanation of kind of school structure in Japan. I think it's kind of important for understanding parts of this journey, uh, which is that you know, she is a junior high school student. She's preparing for exams. It's after summer. Um, and the first thing to understand is that summer is not the, the gap between two school years. Summer is a break in the middle of the school year. So they actually start their school year uh, in April, and then they go all the way until March. So summer is like, it's just like a one-month thing. They, they only get a month. They get like 
maybe six weeks from the last week or so of July uh, and through August. Then they're back at the end of August. So it's not like an American or maybe a Western school's uh, summer vacation. I guess in winter, it would be like winter vacation because the the seasons are flipped. But anyway, um, yeah, so she doesn't, when she's coming back from summer vacation, she's entering essentially like the last half or two thirds of her junior high school life. Um, and I know from experience that when you're a third year junior high school student, when you come back from summer vacation, it is all about cramming for tests, for high school entrance exams. Um, and that's the other part of this story that's important, uh, which maybe some people might be confused about if they didn't know school life in Japan, is that um, education is compulsory through junior high school, but High school itself is not compulsory. So students can stop going to school after junior high. Um, And so, you know, for example, Seiji deciding that he wants to go to Italy um, after junior high school uh, would be like, you know, parents still want their kids to go to high school, but there would be nothing wrong with that legally. Like he is legally within Japan allowed to finish after junior high and go to Italy if he wants to go to Italy. So he's not like you know, just dropping out of school. Um, he's, he's done as much of his education as he needs to do. So I thought that maybe that background information would be helpful. The other thing is that like high school entrance exams, um, you know, in Japan, in junior high school, you're not really, you don't have like a GPA. Um, you don't have a grade point average. You have a class ranking. And that's the thing that really matters, you know, within the context of junior high school. Um, and the, you can't actually fail a year of junior high school as well. Like you will always progress to the next year, regardless of how well you've done, but you need to get your ranking high. You need to get your, get your marks up, uh, to have a a stronger kind of resume for getting into a good high school in the future. So that's kind of why the end of the third year of junior high school, why, uh, Shizuku's parents would be so strict on her and be so like tense about her grade slipping is that she she needs that ranking um, in order to get into a good high school and things like that. So um, the students take the third year of junior high very seriously. It's very intense. Um, and so I definitely like the stress that she's feeling when she's trying to write this story, as well as the 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 concern her parents are showing at her ranking and class slipping because she's a smart girl. Um, you know, I definitely like, I understood that struggle, but I think in general you understand, like you want your kids to do well in school. So, and if they do well in junior high, it sets them up well for high school. But I just wanted to share that. The other thing is like, uh, junior high is three years. So what we would say is like grades seven through nine, that's junior high school. And then high school is also three years. So that'd be grades 10 to 12. Um, so just a lot of, I don't even know if you care, but that's a lot of information uh, about the schooling system in Japan, which just provides a little bit of extra background uh, to understanding where they're at in their journey through life. The other thing is that you may notice that the students are in like class three, five, and there's a class three, four and things like that. So that's like third year, class five, third year, class four. Um, and they have these separations, like it's different from Western schools as well, is that the students have their classroom. So they're not walking around from class to class to class to class. The teachers don't have like their, it's not like this is Mr. Smith's history classroom and this is Mrs. Smith's 
science classroom. It's like, no, they have class three, five. That's where this class spends their entire day and the different teachers will come through that class to do the lessons. So really like, it wouldn't be surprising if someone from, you know, grade three, class five had no idea who someone was over in grade three, class two. Like it would be totally normal for them to not know that someone went to their school. So the fact that Shizuku doesn't know who Seiji is, like that wasn't super surprising because these classes can be very separated. So I think that's all of the, junior, the, the Japan junior high school um, knowledge that you need to understand certain nuances within this story. Uh, the last one would be that I think maybe they're in a private junior high school because they're bringing their own bento lunches. Uh, and she's also wearing like these brown slip-on shoes to school. Whereas in like a public school, all the students have to wear white shoes uh, and they have to eat school lunch. So I thought maybe she's in like a private school, which means they're doing pretty well. So anyway, that's all the background uh, on, on school life. But I really, like I said, I really related to this journey and the, the conversation that Shizuku has with Seiji's grandfather about that, that, that stone that has like the, the gems inside of it. And like, you don't know until you get into it what's in there, if there's something precious or if there's not. And like, you know, I think that's part of the creative process. Like you don't know until you've written the thing, if there's actually something worth, if there's a gem in there, but you have to kind of get it out. You have to get to the heart of it to understand if there was some value in there. But it's also like a human thing. Like, I think everyone's wondering, am I just a rock, <laughs> you know, or, or am I someone that has something precious, something special inside of me? How do I know? How do I know that I have something worth saying? How do I know that I have something worth contributing? So I really like that whole conversation between Shizuku and Seiji's grandfather was just, just beautiful. I really love the writing in that. And I love that when she, after she meets Seiji, um, you know, when they're in Seiji's, uh, in that store, um, and then she, Seiji shows her that he wants to build these violins. Um, you know, we see like uh, she she sings with him, and then there's that moment when his grandfather and his grandfather's friends come in and start playing the other instruments, and I just felt like. Oh my gosh, like what a wonderful moment where she's singing about finding the place you belong as she has found the place that she belongs. And I just, oh man, uh, it's just, I want to watch it again. I'm actually smiling so big right now thinking about it because it's such a great, such a great story moment uh, within the film. And I think there's so many things throughout this film that it does really well. And I really thought that it was cool. I was surprised because when I was looking at the cover, I thought this was going to be a fantastical story. But the cat, like the Baron, and, and the story of the Baron that she's writing is really only a small part of the story. I thought we were going to go to a fantastical place. But really, that, that cat statue just becomes her inspiration for the story that she wants to tell. And I love how she says, like, she's excited because she's found a place where stories begin uh, when she enters the shop. She's found her creative spark. And the way that, you know, the way I thought that it was going to be a fantastical story, but it was really just a small part of it. But even that small part is animated so well. It's so cool um, to the point where they actually made a spinoff film that we'll see later. I think it's called The Cat Returns. Uh, which takes that character of the bear and actually makes a fantasy story, which is maybe what I was expecting in this one. But anyway, even though it wasn't a fantasy story, uh, I still really enjoyed the movie uh, and how we see... The last thing I'll say maybe is that, you know, 
the way that sometimes you meet someone and they, they bring out the best in you. And I think that that's what happens when Shizuku meets Seiji and he has that drive. He knows what he wants to be and he knows what he's going to do to become that, that person. And so she sees that drive and it pushes her uh, to push herself uh, creatively and really write this story in that two months where she's trying to like get this story out uh, because she has to prove something to herself. I just thought that that was uh, a really interesting story. Um, and yeah, just really well done all around. And the actual last thing I'll say when it comes to the ending of this story, um, I thought that it might be, it was definitely super surprising uh, the, <laughs> the, the way that he proposes marriage at the end because they are in junior high. Um, and I think that one thing I have to point out is that um, you know, in the English dub of this film, they actually changed the ending, uh, as opposed to the Japanese version, which I watched the Japanese version, but I researched it. And in the English version, Seiji says that he's going, he's decided that he's going to finish high school and then go to Italy. But in the Japanese version, he says he's decided that he is going to go to Italy after junior high school or middle school, maybe is what they call it. Uh, and so, Totally different results. That's like a three-year difference uh, within the story. Uh, if you watch the English version or the Japanese version, either he's going to high school and he'll get three extra years with Shizuku, or he's going straight to Italy, which means she's not going to see him for three years. So uh, totally different endings to the film, depending on which version you watched. But I, I had to point that out. Um, but, you know, he's proposing marriage, which kind of came out of the blue. I was like, wow, that's a big step. But he's not like saying, let's get married tomorrow. It's more like, hey, one day you know, down the road, I want us to be together. Um, and so I thought that that was really sweet. He's like, I'm going to Italy, but I want you to marry me in the future. Um, so I thought that that was a really surprising, uh, but sweet way to end the story. And I guess it was kind of controversial or people were surprised by it. But Miyazaki said that, uh, in the end he wanted, like, he was a story director. He didn't direct the film, but he was involved in the story. And he said it was important for him that they commit to something. So, uh, that's kind of the way that that's how the ending came about. So um, the other interesting thing for this movie is that uh, I found out that at the beginning of 2020, they were getting ready to create a live action sequel to this film that picks up 10 years later. Um, but obviously it was delayed by COVID and I couldn't find where it's actually at in production. If it's been released, I'm going to look for it, um, but I definitely want to see the sequel it sounds a little bit, so I'm going to give another spoiler warning. If you don't want to know anything, if you want to just let this movie be the end and have your own idea of where they end up, um, then stop listening now because I'm going to tell you where the sequel is meant to pick up. So uh, the sequel is meant to pick up where it's 10 years later and, you know, Seiji is still struggling uh, to become a violin maker. He's not as successful as he wants to be. And Shizuku, instead of being a writer, is working as an editor at like a children's book company. Um, and it's them kind of reevaluating their commitment and their relationship uh, because they are long distance relationship 10 years later. So they haven't gotten married yet, I think, um, but they're kind of reexamining that commitment and where they're at in their lives. So it sounds like it's going to be super emotional, maybe a bummer, uh, but hope, I'm sure it'll be beautifully told uh, regardless. So be very interested to see where that picks up. So uh, I think that's it for my thoughts on this film. Uh, I will wrap up. Uh, I'm sorry I forgot it before, but I'll wrap up by mentioning the voice cast. Uh, Shizuku is voiced in Japanese by Yoko Honda. Uh, Seiji is voiced by Issei Takahashi. 
And um, those are the two main ones. And then the grandfather, uh, Seiji's grandfather, is voiced by uh, Keiju Kobayashi. So those are kind of the three main ones. But we've also got um, Shigeru Muroi as um, Shiho's, uh, sorry, Shizuku's mother. Uh, then we've got Takahashi Tachibana as Shizuku's father. Uh, and then we've got uh, Shigeru Tsuyuguchi as um, the voice of the Baron, that cat statue. And then in the English, uh, we've got Brittany Snow as Shizuku. We've got David Gallagher as Seiji. Gene Smart, who's having a big moment in the world right now off of Watchmen, uh, Mayor of Easttown, and Hacks, all on, uh, all on HBO. But Gene Smart does the voice of of um, Shizuku's mother, and then James Sicking does the voice of Shizuku's father. And then we have Carrie Eloise as uh, the voice of the Baron, so really cool to see that voice cast for sure. Um, and that's going to be it for uh, my thoughts on this movie, um, and then later on I'll get to The Cat Returns, which is like, they say, a spiritual sequel to this, and if I can find the live-action movie, I'll definitely check it out. Uh, but I just want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Thank you for following along on my journey through Ghibli. If you've seen this one, let me know where it ranks for you, what you think about it. If I missed anything in the story, let me know. I uh, would love to hear it. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mace on Movies. You can send me a voice message through the Anchor app uh, and all those things. So uh, thanks again so much for listening. Check out the rest of the podcast. Like, subscribe, share, comment, all the stuff. Uh, but thank you so much again for listening today. Take care of yourself mentally. Take care of yourself physically. Uh, and let's remember to always be kind to one another. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>